the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Weary is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with. Not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than they and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big um, room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. But then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things, over Concern, and as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under trust. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions. Be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not um, you know an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both. Um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just pointlessly worrying about something is different. And, you know, choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect, um, I think, often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected. 
Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a, a distinction, I think, that it, it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that is that is voluntary. Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime, and the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off. And that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not, and it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control. Is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry ward category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And, and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we... Um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's um, really destructive to our health or it feels like something we can't control. And, and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has, has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic um, distance between us and Him as far as how much higher His ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future, um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about 
what exactly we're worrying over when we say we worry about um, our, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that. Often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, we're in favor of something that he has not given us and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have, or, um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation on a topic I think that impacts a lot of us. It's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with. I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello, welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. Thank you, Amy, for uh, saying thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor, gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I have practically memorize that verse and I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory my uh, worries and just submit them to God and let him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing pretty much we we all created worry free uh, I mean uh we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our lives, and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it. But, and that's where we lose it. 
You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe, maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if we're, you know, if we have a habit of worry, we're worrying destructively, we need to examine, you know, what's the belief behind that? And the way to combat that belief is to reaffirm what is actually true. You know, we're believing something probably that's false, like I'm in charge of the world, or, you know, everything's up to me, or I can control this. Um, or I can do a better job than God can. And we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true. And and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that because those are God's words and they are true. All right. We thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves a line open at 888-367-5329-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy, and if so, how do we we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I right. mean, there are certain types of worry that I would seem uh, would seem to me can be can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that and you were just to simply worry about it all day, mm. you know, that's not a healthy response and that's not a productive response. You're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem. So, so when worry comes about, then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it, not just to continue and wring your hands and, and uh, pace the floor, but to either surrender over to God or, you know, again, in the example, gee, I left the house. I wonder if I turned the stove off. I'm worried about that. Well, yeah, I can... Sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're, we're putting off taking action on something we actually should, should do, and we worry about it instead. Um, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may There may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to, um, to change or to control. And in those cases, we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God... 
um, the responsibility for for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here, too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply, we simply don't have that that power and and we simply have not been given control over everything and thank god that we have not been um you know because we certainly would not make it better we're visiting with amy simpson author of anxious choosing faith in a world of worry something that all of us need to take a look at i mean there's a whole ton out there to be worried about the problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective we allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive and of course that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships ultimately our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control, that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what, through worry, that we can do a better job than he can? We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in, in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person, um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits like a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service, and, and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And and for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And, and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me... Not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before where I realized, you know, this, this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and, and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is... <laughs> keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name boy why do i think that i can't trust him with the things that that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me so i i 
you know, I've been on a journey with that, and God has been addressing that with me, and and writing this book project, you know, is a, a part of that as well. So, I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry free, um, but God, God's changing my habits and my heart's there, and He's doing it really through addressing my the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this too about priority and perspective? I ask that question because we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty two, where He says, "I tell you not to worry about everyday life." whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and He will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do. Right. We are called to live differently. And we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is a that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. And you're right. It sometimes it is a matter of um, it's certainly a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's. Mm. And sometimes just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in in God's <laughs> um, economy aren't, don't matter that much. The, the bigger perspective, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia, that that, that sense of, of, of short-sightedness or narrow-sightedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem. And again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things and making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern. And yet it shouldn't be a crippling one. And if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own uh, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that, that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about or because the things that you worry about are unimportant. He says, you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we 
are not to worry because of who God is. And, and so regardless of our circumstances, He is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust uh, correlation that, that really at the end of the day, an extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will, will ultimately not only quite frankly, give us a better night's sleep, but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and actually, you know, making a habit of practicing trust rather than than worrying, sort of replacing that worry with not only uh, a change in our beliefs, but a change in our practices Mm -hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So this is something you have to purpose to do. Yes, it is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one and done sort of approach that in fact you need to renew your trust in him as the previous caller suggested um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on a relationship and who's really in charge because as Amy points out if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge we are in a whole ton of trouble and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation continues with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. Rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. From your unique perspective, Rabbi Burnus, what would you say are some of the key things that we can be doing uh, as Christians in in more effectively sharing the story of Messiah? I, I think largely, I mean, knowing of an audience, for example, like we have here in San Francisco, it isn't for a lack of love or compassion. I think, as you suggest, oftentimes it's just simply a, a lack of understanding. What would you say are some of the key things that Christians can do to become more effective at sharing the story of Messiah with our Jewish friends? Well, Craig, thank you. That's a great question. I think there's a number of things... Uh... Uh, I'd like to touch on, first of all, is to break down those misconceptions. Understand that the Jewish person in your life that God has put into your life is not there by accident, that he's put them there for you to to, to uh, provoke to jealousy, as it says in Romans 11, uh, 11 uh, to understand that, the, the, that they don't know the scriptures better than you do, that they haven't rejected the gospel than they need to hear. Uh, so breaking down those barriers. Uh, second, 
I think it's it's a it's of great value for Christians to understand the Jewish mindset. You can do this very simply. I go into enough detail in my book to to really help uh, Christians to understand what Jewish people hear. What 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 you mean to say to them is not what they're hearing. The third thing. Uh, so there's some semantical things uh, that I talk about words to avoid and. Uh, uh, language that I think uh, provides uh, more clarity. And, and the approach is different, as you were suggesting, between someone who is strictly of, say, a, a secular Jewish background versus somebody who um, has a religious background, such as yourself, to then tertiary, I suppose, someone who grew up in an Orthodox home? I think there's some differences, but in, in effect, you have to understand that felt needs are the same whether one's Jewish or not Jewish. Uh, the need for a sense of purpose and identity uh, of what ha- the, the answering the questions in life that all of us need to face. Why are we here and what happens to us after we die? Uh, when people go through a crisis, they, 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 they're looking for answers. And I think that supersedes to a large extent uh, anyone's background. Um, but yes, indeed, sometimes uh, someone who's more orthodox uh, maybe easier to share with if they're open because they adhere to to the authority of the scriptures, which which leads me to my next point. I think that to learn some of the messianic prophecies and how to present them to a Jewish person and understand that the, the, that the uh, disciples, when they expounded on the scriptures and proved that Jesus was the Messiah did not use the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament. They were using the Torah. They were using the prophets. They were using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And so I think it it uh, is very helpful to learn some of the, the key Messianic prophecies and how to present them, to learn how Jesus, uh, Yeshua, is at the center of some of the different uh, feasts of the Lord, the celebrations such as Passover and and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I think is very, very helpful. And then most importantly, to, to, to understand that only God can open up a person's heart. Uh, we have to open our mouth and share, but God can op- opens their heart. And so to pray and to get other people praying for that Jewish person that God has put into your life, I... I I can't emphasize enough how important that is, Craig. And I would suspect, too, as I found, at least this is true from my experience, that doing the research to understand the connection, for example, between a lot of the feasts and the parallels that we see, parallels that we see not only gives you tools to more effectively share Messiah with, with uh, your Jewish friends, but for me also, it's like taking a trip to Israel. You know, it, 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 it turns on a light. It, it opens up a deeper understanding and awareness of things that we see that I think helps a Christian better understand his own faith as well. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. It's so it's so enriching to go to Israel to learn some of these um, uh, types and foreshadows. It, I find with most Christians, uh, every everyone that has that has uh, that has studied the, these um, typologies, gone to Israel with me, and so on, uh, has found. Uh, it, it's deeply enriching, and that the relationship with the Lord has, has grown much closer. 
Now, I don't want to make this a commercial, but I want to spend a moment. Tell us more about your book and how you see potentially your book as being a tool uh, that can be used certainly by believers looking to reach their Jewish friends. And I wonder, too, then, the parallel, can this be a tool to, to effectively put into the hands of a Jewish friend? Well, absolutely. I wrote the book for two, two, two audiences. First of all, the Christian audience that has a Jewish uh, friend or co-worker or neighbor and, and also wants to learn uh, how um, the, the whole gospel message, not the gospel message as much as Christian theology has changed over the centuries uh, from what the scriptures actually teach, the whole idea of replacement theology and so on. I wanted to break down those barriers that keep Christians from sharing their faith, not just with Jewish people, but with people in general. So I talk quite a bit about evidential apologetics proofs uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. We have to, fact, have to be careful to avoid subjects like, you know, being a strong promoter of British Israelism, things of that sort, exactly. too. Exactly. <laughs> and my premise is this. I say this at the, right in the beginning of the book, that it takes more faith when you look at all the evidence to reject Jesus as Messiah than to accept him. I can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is Messiah, uh, but, but when you look at the evidence, it's very, very strong. So I wrote it for Christians and helping them to better understand how to effectively share the gospel with that Jewish person in their life. But I also wrote it as a tool to give to an open-minded Jewish person uh, that, like me, was searching for, 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 uh, for the reason for life, that was searching for uh, truth. And there's many Jewish people out there that are open to to um, investigating the claims of, of Jesus. And, and I, I wrote this for them as well. So it's for open-minded Jewish people and, and for, for Christians that want to learn more about um, the Jewish person in their life. A word, if you would, Rabbi, about your ministry. Well, Jewish Voice Ministries International uh, was founded in 1967, right before uh, the reestablishment of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War. And we're a ministry that is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel to the Jew first uh, anywhere in the world where the Jewish people are, are, where there's Jewish communities that are open to the gospel. And then secondly, to help educate uh, and mobilize Christians to be that light to Jewish people that God has called them to be. We undertake very large humanitarian projects to the Jewish communities in Ethiopia and India. There's large Jewish communities there that are impoverished. We do um, uh, festival uh, outreaches of music and dance where we share our faith. Uh, we're really a ministry. We, we believe we're a last days ministry that's helping to proclaim the gospel to Jewish people in a way that they can understand. And I like what you mentioned um, earlier on in our conversation, that not only in terms of, of opening the eyes of, of Christians, but also an opportunity to effectively share uh, with Jewish people the notion of getting involved, getting information about um, a, a Passover Seder, and, and learning all the connections and ties in there. Well, what, a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. It is indeed, and we, we actually have a church speaking department that has speakers that go to churches around the country and share things like a Messianic Passover Seder. It's an incredible experience if you've never seen one or been part of one. If folks want to get more information on that, Rabbi, they can contact you or get more details at jewishvoice.org. 
It's that simple. Jewish Voice, one word, dot O-R-G. Excellent. And the book as well, certainly through all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, et cetera, et cetera, but also through your website? Indeed, and chosen website. Uh, really hope that people will uh, find it uh, of value. A great tool. We appreciate the time and the education today. Craig, thank you so much for having me today. And, uh I really appreciate your minister. Keep up the great We'll look forward to doing it again. There is Rabbi Jonathan Burness. Again, his new book entitled A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. And again, this new book uh, published by Chosen, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and details as too on the web, jewishvoice.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.